Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 14 of Robot Radio. I'm Greg Stanwood along with Andrew Martin, and we're coming to you for the first time from the same metropolitan area. Hey, you think by now we'd be doing a live recording, but nope, we still have lives. Yeah, and we're still uh, – I still haven't actually met Andrew. Um, the first thing I want to go over today is to talk about how crazy this week has been in terms of uh, not only the transactions, which we'll talk about, but also just in general the weather. Uh, I can't recall – and again, I haven't been following the team as long as some people, but I can't recall a week that has been so devastated by weather as this one. No, I, there actually – I was reading an article today that said uh, – I think it was from the Denver Post saying that this is the uh, – we've in the past, we've had two games rained out in a week, but never three. And they, uh, they asked Todd Helton about it, and his response was, uh, well, it's good for the crops. <laughs> That's a total a total Helton thing to say. Oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine him saying anything else besides you know something hunting or motorcycle-related or something like that. Uh-huh. Well – My truck's going to get muddier this way. I'm Todd Helton. <laughs> <clears throat> Daddy, you're messy. <laughs> okay, that's straight from the Boys and Girls Club ad, so I can't. I'm not weird. All right, I'm not weird. Yes. Anyway, but yeah, we have. Let's see if I can recall. We had the first game with Philadelphia went down okay, I think, and then the second one was rained out, and then on day three we played. We had a doubleheader schedule, and we were able to get the first one. And this was the day I flew back into Denver, and then in the evening, the evening game was. Uh, was rained, rained out, out, and it has now been postponed to some other random part of the schedule that I believe hasn't been decided yet. I thought they were thinking September. Well, September is the most convenient one because it's Philadelphia is going to be on the road in the area, and we're going to be at home. But a lot of times, you know, especially when the two teams are considered contenders for playoff spots, they're going to try to get the the thing done early. So, that, like for example, what if something goes wrong on September second? They don't want to schedule too many games after the season's over between us if we need those games. So I would say that it wouldn't be all that unusual for them to try and find the most even closely related uh, double off day. I mean, and I checked the schedule. We have a we have four or five off days on the same day as Philly. It's just trying to find one that can that doesn't make them spend like an extra, you know, eight hours on a plane or whatever. If they're in Florida, yeah. I mean, much as we need to get the games done and these guys are getting paid zillions of dollars, they can handle a little bit of extra travel, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you want to try to make it as convenient as possible for all involved because you got broadcasters traveling, trainers, all kinds of people like that. And uh, logistically, I imagine it's a complete nightmare if you have to schedule one game, especially in Colorado. And much as, I mean, I have to, I don't mean to uh, feed the whole Colorado is in the middle of the nowhere thing. We're in the middle of nowhere. As, well, we are definitely in the middle of nowhere compared to the rest of Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. Every other team has uh, another team relatively close to it. Except, I mean, there's a handful like, you know, Seattle, obviously. But, and, of course, uh, the nice thing about Seattle is even though it's kind of tucked away, at least it shares a time zone with some other teams. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> got to be the most frustrating thing. That's the one thing I hate about being in the National League West. And it's not going to get any better being in any other division, I guess. But whenever we're on a road trip, I mean, I'm going to bed a lot earlier now because I'm hitting g the gym first thing in the morning now. And trying to be less of a blob and more of a, you know, the big stud you all envision me as. Uh, it stinks having the game start at 8 o'clock, and I'm like, all right, four innings in, going to bed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, continuing on along the week, we had uh, – on Thursday there was an interesting uh, experience. We had a game that we played through the rain that probably shouldn't have been played. Coors Field looked like a lake afterward. 
the only time I've seen the field anywhere close to that bad and the ground screw having to dump that much diamond dry into the corners was game three of the 2007 NLCS, which interestingly enough also featured LeVon Hernandez. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's my favorite memory of our former catcher, Tori Alba. I still have that clip on my external hard drive of Tori Alba hitting that pitch in the left field seats for a three-run homer. That was a, that was a good moment. See, I don't quite remember the games that specifically, but... Uh, I was there. Ah, there you the, go. Literally, I got... I mean, we left the game, we got back to our car, came back to my house, and it... I mean, I had gotten out of my wet clothes, changed into dry stuff, and still, an hour or two later, my legs were still cold to the touch. Hmm. So, yesterday's game was postponed, not so much because of the weather itself, but because of the damage that the weather the previous day had done. And so now here we are in the middle of a doubleheader against Washington. Uh, the only real casualty having been uh, the one Philadelphia game that we missed. Yeah, so which... they, they, did a, they did a good job of juggling things. And, I mean, only having to miss one. I mean, granted, that Washington game, the first one should not have been played. I mean, th- this is the one thing that that I was actually interested in because I you know, never heard it before. George was saying uh, that even if they throw all that diamond dry down on the field, the next day when the sun comes out and it dries all the dirt on the field, the water's going to all rise to the top and you're going to have a lake on top of the infield. And there's really not much you can do with that. Yeah, and of course it was a serious concern injury-wise. And Jim Tracy was out there every inning with the umpire saying, well, guys, is it, is it bad enough now? <laughs> I mean, part of that was the fact that we were getting beaten. I I, I, I I would almost rather have just sucked up the loss in the sixth and not risk giving half our team hypothermia. Helton has the flu now. Thanks a lot, MLB. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't actually make that connection, but that could certainly have had an effect. Uh, I don't know if – I mean, Helton was like a potential pinch hitter in the game. He came out on deck, uh, but he was recalled after – I guess that was right after we, we – after the Clint Barmas hit. Yeah, he hit three up the middle today. I was uh, I, I was keeping score on my handy-dandy iPhone. They have a – for any of you scorekeepers out there, if you have an iPhone, I know I'm pimping someone else's software here, but there's a, an application called iScore. It's like 10 bucks, which kind of stinks, but it's actually worth it. you got to put all the rosters – I mean, unless you want to pay the, their yearly fee for updating all the rosters. You take 10, 15 minutes before the game, upload all the rosters, and then everything is pretty intuitive. And then at the end of the game, you can print out your scorecards and send them all along. Uh, so I was keeping score on that, and the cool thing about it is it shows you that you, you mark the hit location or the out location every time it happens, and then when the guy comes back up for the second time or the third time or whatever, you see where his hits were. Everything Barmas hit was straight up the middle, and you know, much as they, you know, he didn't have any gigantic hits or whatever, everything was right up the middle. And I mean, worst case scenario, he's at least get the timing down to put pitches or put balls in play into a tough spot to get to. So in in the meantime there, I was looking at the schedules for Philly and Colorado, and one thing they could do is they could play the game on June 3rd. We both have June 3rd off, and Philadelphia is going to be flying to San Diego from Atlanta. Oh, crap. Never mind. Philadelphia is going to be playing them at home. So they're going to just be flying up the coast. Otherwise, that would have worked out fine because we would be in the area as well because we'd be in the middle of an NL West road trip at Arizona. What kind of a stretch do we have on either side of that off day? Um, stretch in, in, in terms of what? The consecutive games. Because those off days can be precious. Well, we've been getting our share of off days. <laughs> yeah, fair um, enough. We just, had a couple, we just had a couple big stretches. That's all I know. We would next have an off day on June 14th. 
so it wouldn't be canceling out too much or stringing together too long. I mean, the period that we're in right now is, I mean, technically rather off day free. We have not had an official off day since the seventh when we were in LA, and we won't have an official off day until after we play Kansas City through Sunday the twenty third. So that's the seventh through the twenty third that was scheduled. You know, smack full of games. So you mentioned Kansas City, and I'll, I'll veer off topic for a second. I know we kind of have a schedule and itinerary here, but uh, but Kansas City and we're DH and Giambi. Given what we've seen the last few days, the last few starts Giambi's made, I'm slightly more comfortable with it now. Note that I said slightly. I would still rather DH Brad Hop and put yeah. our three defensive outfielders out there, or you know any combination of Spilly Dex, Cargo, and uh, and Smith. Right. But so I I, I just. It kind of frustrates me when a guy has a history of this guy is a DH, therefore he must DH when the opportunity arises. The National League, when they go to interleague or or the World Series, should be using the DH as a ridiculous advantage. And I think that's one of the problems with guys who have played a role for most of the, most of their careers. That a manager who may not know that player as well will just say, "Oh, well, he's DH, therefore he should DH." How long that's- has it been since Giambi's been a full time uh, first baseman? Well, he played half the season as a full as a first baseman in Oakland last year before he got cut, and I've heard from Oakland fans and even a few Yankee fans who kept an eye on him saying that he was D, he was first basing way too much and not DHing enough. Right. He's you know what a eighty now or something like that. Well, the nice thing about Giambi is that I mean, he's not obviously an ideal first baseman, but he's also not like Travis Hafner or David Ortiz. He's not you know? much better though. Uh, I think he's he's significantly better. I think he's he's good enough to put out there when you need him to to be well, out there. Whereas I guess if, I we're think... ta- if we're talking about right now, I suppose that that Pronk and 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 Big Poppy are uh, are very very poor options. But during the 2007 World Series, Ortiz held down first base all right when with Euclid at uh, now they bench Euclid because Mike Lowell was on that ridiculous tear, but uh, he could hold the position down well enough. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, I will agree with you to an extent because the last couple of games I have seen Giambi making a couple impressive pick, not not Helton impressive picks, but make a couple tough plays. At and, the very least, he he's covering the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, covering the ground, and I, I remember one play that Barmas made from short when he was subbing there that uh, it, it was a it wasn't a Tulowitzki throw or that gigantic lollipop, you know, but uh. But it was more of a, you know, get it over there. And it one hopped it, and he was able to – it landed about two feet in front of the bag, and he was able to scoop it before it uh, before the guy touched the, the – the runner touched the bag. So, you know, good job on Giambi. And then they had that one, uh, the foul bloop that he died for. He almost had that, and I would be questioning if Helton would have that too. But, I mean, worst-case scenario, um, he's not being a prima donna about first base. Like, well, I'm really a DH. I'm just backing up Helton. I'm not going to try. He's clearly trying. It's like they asked Adam Dunn about his bad feeling, and he said, it's not like I don't want to get to the balls. <laughs> Effort goes a long way in my book. And, and you know, is it when it, well, I mean, when I turn off my statistics and tracking players' value brain and just watch a game and just don't care about much of the other stuff, when a player really lays out for something, even if he misses it terribly or something like that, Unless it was in the case of like Eric Young diving for that one ball that he had no business even playing, um, like when a guy is making the only play he can and dives for it, I'm not gonna get too mad at him. So let's talk a little bit about the how the, how the weather has affected the roster. Huh. Um, we've 
we've had this week scheduled for a while now the uh, the return of a couple of players. We've we got Brad Hop back at the beginning of the week against Philadelphia, and then obviously throughout the week, start uh, first on Wednesday, we were going to bring Jason Hamill back, and then with Jeff Francis doing well in rehab, they kind of have they've kind of bumped him up into uh, the the starting in the near future being tomorrow. But the fact that Jason Hamill's game was rained out and then also that we had we had Melvin Mora get hurt followed by Eric Young Jr. get hurt, we've had some crazy juggling going on. And I think we've ha- we've seen two or three things this ta- this uh this week already transaction wise that we haven't seen before. The first of those was Edgemar Escalona who probably got the happiest news of his life when he said they were going to call him up for one major league game and uh because he was conveniently on the roster and of course well you know he's he's not he's 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 going to be being on the roster he's going to be considered for future call-ups possibly even in September but you know i mean this was going to be his introduction so he was all there ready in uniform and then because the game was rained out he was never activated so there was never an official transaction, and basically he was a, he showed up and ready to and was ready to play, but was never officially on the team. Now, did he actually show up to Denver? Yes. Oh, how embarrassing! The Rockies stood him up for a cup of coffee. Yeah, he was uh, he was there with the team working out. He was in the dugout in uniform, and then they well, basically. Well, that must have been a, a worst case scenario. At least he got to be at Coors Field in uniform with the team. Yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. And hopefully he'll be back. Hopefully he uh, doesn't have to be a roster victim like Shane Lindsay was. Oh, Shane Lindsay. Uh, we'll talk more about Lindsay in a second. Okay, I just wanted to also, yeah, I wanted to bring up the uh, the other funny thing where the I didn't even know this was possible, and I'm a transactions nerd. We had them place Melvin Moore on the DL after he got hurt playing defense, and uh, they call, they activated presumably Jason Hamill for that start, but then of course the game was postponed and somehow, even though the transactions were official this time, the rain out of the game allowed the Rockies to like redact the moves. So I'm picturing this kind of like a 1920, if you've ever seen this, you've seen the sting, I assume. Yeah. Like, you know, something in that situation where they have the runner going from the bookie's office or whatever. This is the runner, the courier going to the uh, transaction office. And, <laughs> and the next thing you know, you, you know, you got like Giambi out of nowhere with like, you know, like body checks the guy into a wall or something like that. <laughs> like, hey, scrub, this ain't going nowhere. And I like, tears up the transaction and spits on him and walks away. Well, he again, what was weird about it was that the transaction actually got processed. It was like MLB actually allows you if your game is change to like call in and say okay we didn't play the the moves aren't official yet we're not we don't want that to happen anymore but yeah, it, if, that's, if that's actually the reality of it you know i'm glad about that because the point of transactions is to make your roster work and if you needed the roster to work for that one night but if the next day if you didn't have to worry about that one night and the next day you would have changed things anyways allowing them to redact the moves i mean it's good that if that's the way it actually went down, that they allowed them to redact it, you know, good for them because that seems to be more the spirit rather than, hey, let's be a whole bunch of jerks and say, nope, sorry, transaction went through already. You're stuck. Right. Uh, j- just think of this from <clears throat> from Melvin Mora's perspective, though. They know they have to activate Jason Hamill in the afternoon. And, of course, probably during the game, Jim Tracy's thinking to himself, is it going to be Eric Young or is it going to be Seth Smith that's optioned down? Uh, and then suddenly Mora hurts himself, and so they basically <laughs> – Jim Tracy probably said as soon as Melvin Mora was injured, he probably like pulled pulled the bench coach aside or somebody or the trainer and said, hey, drive him over to the doctor and get him on the DL for me. Eh, 
<laughs> and so there's Mora who's injured himself, and then he's probably told within like an hour, oh, we're going to put you on the DL. And, you know, he probably says, I feel okay. I can probably play tomorrow. And they're like, too late. And then, like, then then he goes in the next morning and he thinks he's on the DL. And then he gets a message that says, oh, by the way, the move is canceled. Not on the DL. Just yeah. kidding. Fooled you. So, so, is he, so is he is he still active as of today, right? Yes, he is. Yes, he is active. Uh, I haven't had a check, chance to check our news feeds about whether he's uh, should be active or not. Have you? Uh, do you have any updates on that? Well, I can check right now. He pinch hit yesterday, so if they did put Pretty him on did. the if they did put him on the DL, they'd have to put him on retroactive to today. Uh, I don't believe the transactions have been made yet, but I can. I'm pretty sure that what we're going to see is Greg Smith option. Uh, when well, we, all, we also know that Eric Young's hurt. Eric Young's on the DL though, too, though, right? Well, no, he's not yet. What's probably going to happen is Eric Young's going to go on the DL first, and then we're going when Francis gets activated tomorrow. Uh, is when we need the other transaction to happen. How bizarre! Yes, uh, it is so, indeed. So let's hope that Jeff Francis does better than. Um, my double O T my OTP sim game Jeff Francis Jeff Francis because I took over the Rockies for the sim league that starts at the beginning of this season up to date rosters and stuff like that and Francis was ready about a month into the season as opposed to where we are now um, streets available too and the both of them are just getting shelled oh no just getting destroyed <laughs> I mean streets still striking everyone out and doing his job well enough it's kind of a a, a fielding independent issue pitching issue, kind of a FIP thing versus, you know, batting average on balls and play, but good night. They're just getting destroyed. So I'm looking at the transactions list and it is official. Eric Young was moved to the 15 day DL and Hamill was called up. Okay. So that fixes, we were playing for a while because of the strange issue with all the people on the, on the DL. We were playing with six position players this week because of, you know, Gonzalez was on the bereavement list and we had to activate him. So we got rid of, uh, who did we get rid of? Oh, um, oh, we we, uh, we put we put Morales on the DL. That's, that's right. Why. I was thinking, no, wait, we didn't call anyone up there. It's it, it for, was Brad forgive, Hop coming off the DL. Yeah, forgive us, please. It's been one of those weeks, and Greg's a transaction expert, not me. I, I've lost track of a lot of these by now. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it's totally given me a headache as well. But I mean, it, it it's it's always entertaining to watch for me. So, um, yeah. So who's the next destined for the majors then? What do you mean? Well, we, we're gonna we're gonna need another infielder. We got Morris still, right? Huh? See all the Johnny Herrera because we were thinking that Johnny Herrera is gonna be the next one called up. Which I'm he not. He was he was gonna be called up if we played yesterday, and he would have been on the roster until Francis was activated, uh, because Eric Young would have gone on the DL yesterday. He got hurt the day before, but because the yesterday's game was postponed, they never put Eric Young on the DL. So they waited until they needed Hamill to be called up today to make that transaction there. Ah. Yeah, that's that's crazy how, how, how it's all been going down. Speaking of transactions, the one major thing that happened yesterday was Shane Lindsay got claimed off waivers by the, the Yankees. Now, it's always it, it always hurts to a degree when you see a prospect claimed off waivers. I remember when I was young and stupid and inexperienced in terms of my baseball following, and I was watching people like like Alberto Arias get claimed off waivers, and I was, like, crying myself to sleep. <laughs> Arias because, wasn't too bad, though. He was all right. No, and it's the same with, like, Joe Koshansky and all these people. Well, it's the kind of thing where you uh, – 
you wish you could get something for them oh, as yeah. opposed to just have them depart. It, it well, if, fe- you, if, you, if you follow Joko at all, by the way, in his last two seasons, he had a season with a Brewers AAA affiliate, and I'm not sure who he's with right now. Point being that he's been absolutely terrible. Yeah, he's uh, he's certainly not uh, not making an impression. Um, I, he, um, last I, season with the Brewers AAA affiliate, he batted two eighteen with a three sixteen on base percentage and a four thirty five slugging, which is a uh, below av- below AAA league average. He struck out thirty six point five percent of the time. Um, I mean, that's that's a good ISO and it's a good uh, good ISO both discipline and uh, uh, power. But yeah, uh, if you're hitting two eighteen in AAA, yeah, um, well, I'll make excuses based on you know your batting average on balls in play and your line drive percentage. But if you're doing that in AAA, man, there's just no room for you. Yeah, and of course he was when it was claimed he he was claimed by the Rangers and then claimed again by the Brewers from the Rangers. Uh, last year or two years ago or whenever that was. And he uh, was obviously on their roster at the time, but he's since been removed. So he's he's a full-on minor leaguer now. And it's the same with Jason Hirsch, who's also in the Yankees. But, of course, Shane Lindsay, having been just claimed, is, is still on their 40-man. Um, so a lot of people obviously were disappointed to see Lindsay go, especially because we didn't end up making a transaction to replace him. I should make it clear that Lindsay wasn't designated for assignment. He was claimed straight off the roster, which basically means the team put him on waivers with the hope that he would get claimed, but they weren't willing to DFA him because if nobody wanted him, they wanted that they didn't want him lost. And the fact that it was the Yankees that claimed him, and they're almost all the way in the back of the line. Um, they, it was close. It was real close. Yeah, uh, uh, that makes me sad. I I mean. I know that our bullpen is not in the best. I mean, it's not roster wise and flexibility wise. It's not in the best shape when you think about option years and who has to go through waivers. But I almost wish that we had just activated him for one game, let him pitch one game. And then if he was terrible, be like, well, you know what, kid? I hope we're not kid. He's like, what, 27 now? He's 25. Okay, 25, whatever. Point is, enjoy. You know, I hope you enjoyed your uh, your brief visit. Uh, good luck if another organization claims you. Uh huh. Makes me sad. I I I've been I've played the Rockies as the Rockies in a lot of different sim leagues, and we you know with relatively up to date rosters. And Shane Lindsay's always been a part of the farm system in that, and uh, he's never been terribly good in any of them, but a lot of strikeout potential. And if you look at his minor league career, which I'm hoping will come up here, he's got a. I mean, really, last season he struck out 11.71 batters per nine in uh, in Double A ball. Downside is he also walked six point one eight. And I should also point out that this season, so far in AAA, he's been walking over eleven people per nine. See, that's just ridiculous. I just wanted to see it. Uh, just, just wanted to see him once, just, just to see. Say, hey, look, we have an Australian on the roster. Yes, uh, with both with Lindsay and Adam Bright leaving the organization this year, our organization has a severe lacking of Australians. Whatever, just the West Coast bias, or I should say, Western Hemisphere bias. Or the Northern Hemisphere bias. That too. <laughs> so we've already talked a little bit about Jeff Francis. Um, is there anything more you want to say? It, it, any expectations you have about about what you want to see from him tomorrow? Well, what I want to see from him, what I think we're going to see from him, are going to be completely different things. What do you, like... what do you think? We're, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious as a Rockies fan what you want to see from him. What do you think you're going to see from him? Well, what I think is going to be a perfect game. 
<laughs> that I, would I, that would be all kinds of ridiculously amazing. <laughs> well, the problem with Francis for me isn't so much that I think he's uh I'm I'm not like riding on the expectation of him being an ace or whatever. I'm more I don't know. I think we're a little too bullish on him. I feel like he's going to have a lot of trouble with a free pass. I mean, in his double A, let's see, in his, you know, like 10 or 11 innings or whatever it was in double A, it was, it was almost 12, actually. He only walked two batters, which is good. But for a guy like Francis, who um, doesn't have anything overpowering, um, his out pitches is wicked changeup, which you can just hope that batters will either miss on or just weakly grounded out. Um, he's going to be the kind of guy who has to play the corners to survive. And someone who hasn't faced major league pitching since 2008 is going to, uh, I'm afraid that whole nibbling thing, it just, it's just going to end up with a pile of base runners. Yeah, it could be a rough go, but of course I, I certainly wish him the best. And, See, I wish uh, him the best too. I obviously want the team to win and I have nothing, no ill will toward him. I'm not trying to say, Oh, I've hated Jeff Francis forever. Mm-hmm. You know, what a bum. I just think he's going to have – I think we're going to see a really poor uh, strike-to-ball ratio. I think he's going to walk several and not strike out many. And, uh, and I mean, I don't know. I think the first inning oh, – I'll be interested to see what he does in the first inning. Because historically, if we recall from when he was healthy and pitching regularly, um, first inning was always a bad inning for Jeff Francis. That seems to be the case for a lot of Rockies pitchers. The first inning sucks. That said, if he makes it the first inning all right – I'll reserve judgment until something actually happens. And I'm hoping he surprises me, but I'm really, I'm really just suggest thinking he's going to fall flat on his face. And well, it's, this... it's, it's just based on injury. It's not based on, wow, you suck, but it's just like, eh. this podcast will be released on Monday after the Francis outing. So maybe you will look like a, uh, like some sort of prophet or you, and, and you'll be blamed for jinxing him. Or you will be completely wrong, and Francis will have been amazing. Yeah, I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy. I'm trying to be somewhat realistic, and I, I wasn't that wowed by him when he was healthy and pitching in the majors. He was okay. He was good, but I mean, he had that one stretch in 2007 from like I don't know, like late May through August or something like that, where he was absolutely untouchable. But he's he, he's not like a Ubaldo Jimenez kind of pitcher who will have dominating stuff even if he's off. I mean, when he's off, he was off. So we're now tomorrow, assuming the game gets played tonight, uh, tomorrow we're going to be wrapping up uh, the uh, our series with the Nationals. We've played the Nationals eight games this season, or will have played them eight games, which is always a little unusual for an out-of-division team. And so... They're also the first team this year that we're not going to play again. Uh, every other team we've played, we're going to see at least one more time. I'm kind of glad that we're getting them out of the way now, because, I mean, I know that every win, every loss counts the same, but the shelling they put on us the other night, this is not the same Nationals team we've faced in the past. Granted, we still have, like, a, you know, two-to-one win-loss ratio against them career-wise, but our, over, you know, franchise history playing them. But, uh... No, they um I, I would hate to have us go into, hey, let's make really borderline pitchers look like aces, like we tend to do in the most frustrating of moments, you know, in August when we need to be in the thick of things and, you know, kicking everyone's butts. So With that said, the Nationals are a good club. They're not phenomenal. They ha their pitching is very sketch. But I mean, if you remember Craig Stammen owning us the other, you know, a couple weeks back. 
Um, but my, my point entirely is that the team looks different than it did a couple of years ago. And granted, that's just a nice blanket statement you could say about anything. But when we watched them a couple of years ago, I mean, you had Dimitri Young at first still. I think you, I think you still had Belliard at second. Um, Guzman was still at third or short. And I think that was just, yeah, Ryan Zimmerman been up for a year or two at that point. The difference really was is that they had, they were still, Elijah Dukes is another one of the guys they had. Um, the experiment wasn't working of trying to bring in a bunch of, you know, talent that had problems or whatever. The yeah, team they, looked they had Lastings Millage in center. And, you know, uh, yeah. The team looked lazy. They looked like they didn't want to win. They looked like they didn't care. I mean, I remember going to a game with my dad, and we were sitting there on the upper deck watching them, and my dad was just grousing about how, how Demetri Young was just a big lump who would just walk out of the dugout and slowly walk across the infield to first base. And my dad was just throwing a fit over how lazy <laughs> that big lump is. and rah, What a galoot. And rah, rah. They look like a much more energetic club now. And I'm not sure if it has anything to do with Riggleman. I'm not sure if it has to do with a new GM. I'm not sure if it has to do with what, but I mean... Maybe it's maybe it's Nigel Morgan. He had, he had good effect on the team last year, and uh, they look a lot more energetic. Their their hitting is decent at least. Their pitching is very suspect, but I don't really blame the team for that as much as do the the front office of that team. Right, but and th- and after several years now of you know early round draft picks, they're starting to get some some people in there who will keep them afloat for, for an extended couple of years. And, and they, they look more spry. They look more alive. They look like they actually want to be playing baseball. I mean, what a concept, right? Joe Poznanski is a writer for the Kansas City Star, was making commentary on this, and I can tie the two together because they're both just awful franchises, at least in our you know very general perception. But he was talking about Joaquin Soria for the Kansas City Royals, and he was saying how hard does it have to be to be one of the high leverage people or one of the premier players for a franchise that sucks. And I mean, we got someone getting mad at us about saying that players suck. Yes. Every major league baseball player is good because they made it to the majors. That disclaimer aside, the Royals are just awful and I feel bad for them. They're saying how bad does it got to be to be a closer for that team where you step out there and you know that even if you see half the games you come out for just to get your work in, and the other half, yeah, you might get the save, but who cares? Not I mean, to mention, not... not to mention someone like Granky, who's it... you know starting every fifth day, and uh, his yeah, team t- is not he... is not is just not able to win behind him. We touched on Granky and uh, and Billy Butler as well, who are both are. I mean, Billy Butler is you know far from an elite talent, but he's decent at first base. He has good games, and he's a he's a good hitter in general. I'm pretty sure he's the best hitter on the Royals. And uh, and then Greike, who's just phenomenal, and he's going to win like what, like three games this year. The way the net, the way the Royals were run supporting him, but saying how bad does it have to be when you know you go out there and yeah, you're going to try for your team to win, but it just doesn't make a difference because you suck. And so... I felt the same way about the Roy- the, the Nationals that like, about that like two years ago, when you know who cares if, if if Chad Cordero can't come out and make a save or or whoever was I was Cordero at the time. Um, you know, who cares if, you know, any of their players are any good, the team's going to finish dead last in the division again. And they look like they have some life now. It's like they can see, it's like the 2005 Rockies. I mean, the team wasn't very good because we had a whole bunch of guys who had, you know, late season call-ups and that was about it. But the fact that they, it's like they saw hope on the horizon, you know, they showed a bit more life in their play. And that's kind of what I'm seeing out of the Nats right now. They have Strasburg on the horizon. They might have Bryce Harper coming to the organization in, this summer. Um, 
you get the idea. Talent in the minors. There's some guys starting to perform there. They're getting some decent scrap heap guys like like Willingham and uh, well, I guess Willingham's more than a scrap heap, but he's one. He's another victim of the Marlins don't pay players. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a better franchise now. It's okay. I'm okay with saying that. They're not gonna beat the Phillies. Heck, if they can finish fourth in the division or third, I'll be blown away. But you know, it's not as bad as it once was. Yeah, no, I'm in absolute agreement, and I think uh, I honestly think that they have more than a, a reasonable shot of finishing fourth, uh, possibly above the the. Well, you know, the Braves are s- horribly underplaying their their talent level right now, but uh, you know, they they have the ability to. I mean, obviously their pitching started off much worse, but after putting Marquis on the DL and getting rid of some of the people like Garrett Mock. And a couple of the others, they they have improved in that regard as well. And of course, Levon Hernandez is just working miracles for them. So it's crafty veteransmanship. Yeah, there you go. That's an actual term. Look it up. Well, Anywhere. the other the other term is marquee magic. And even Mark- on the even on the DL, he's spreading his his magic to the uh, to the team. Spreading his wings of winitude. I no, think the- I think what he did was he stole all the pixie dust from Omar Quintanilla yesterday uh, last season when he left. That must be it, because it sure hasn't been working for him when he actually plays. Yeah, well, of course he's hurt, so. If that's uh, the only reason, then, you know, I'll give him the pass, but Marquis isn't historically a very good pitcher. He's not also not historically as bad as he's been. Marquis is not the kind of guy who gives up ten runs in an inning oh, without no. getting an out. <laughs> no, he's not. You're absolutely right. So let's wrap this up with some discussion on what you and I think about the issue or the event where Jim Tracy caught the bullpen coach for the Phillies using some binoculars to watch the game from uh, back behind in the, uh, the the little bullpen bunkers that they have. Um, obviously, Jim Tracy was really upset by it, and after MLB warned the Phillies about it, Charlie Manuel got really upset, and now there's kind of a little war of words between the two of them and certain managers in MLB are backing one or the other. So it's, it's caused some, some sort of controversy there. It's been a back and forth of absolute stupidity. I mean, I don't, I don't fault Jim Tracy at all for saying that's ridiculous. I can't believe they're doing that. You don't do that. But I do think Charlie Manuel is being a bit too standoff for being like, quit crying. We're winning. Kiss the rings. You know, it's it's ridiculous. And then they tried to call the Mets out on it too. Did you hear about that? Who did? The, the Phillies did. They say, oh. "Oh, the Mets are the ones complaining." I bet because they just kicked their butt so much. No, we caught you during the Rocky series. Yeah, let's try to tie some of that New York rivalry back in there. <laughs> Stupid. I'm. I, I don't. Honestly, I don't care that much. Stealing signs has been part of baseball as long as it's been around. But wait, but if you're gonna do it do it well. I mean, their well, bullpen coach is sitting there in his chair blatantly with binoculars up against his face and Victorino on the phone in the background or whatever. Here, here's the question, and I mean, we don't we don't have any clue or any evidence about what exactly transpired. It seems pretty clear that the excuse they gave is is false. They said that they had the binoculars to watch their team, yet the uh, the, the video cameras caught the coach uh, performing this action during the uh, – well, well, the Phillies were up to that. Uh, the question could be, though, is was this an organizational decision or did they g- give the guy binoculars and then he by himself said, eh, 
I have these binoculars. I might as well, you know, try and get some signs. <laughs> I might as well cheat. Um, <laughs> no, I, I highly doubt that. That um, oh, why did I just forget that GM's name? I feel silly now. Uh, point is, why Ruben Amaro? Why would Ruben Amaro Jr. call down to their bullpen coach and be like, "Hey, you should cheat"? No, no manager's gonna. The general manager's, the organization's not gonna well, do something I, like that. You're I mean, right. Are you saying I, Charlie, I guess I, are you I guess Charlie Manuel would say maybe, oh, maybe, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. The way he reacted to it, I think he just knew that they got caught, and he's all like, "Shut up, whatever." Quit being a bunch of babies. Quit crying. You lost, dude. Why don't you make it a little more blatant that you were doing it, huh? I mean, just say, hey, you know what? We it, it was a lapse in. Ju- I don't even know if they should apologize. I just don't care that much. I was reading an article on this on Fangraphs just before we started uh, this conversation here, and they're saying historically, when when there's been cheating allegations about stealing signs that have been actually like like legitimately caught, not just you know surmised. The teams have actually done worse. It seems like batters would almost rather not know what's coming, so they're not looking too hard for it. David right. Wells actually, and I think it was in 05, intentionally balked a runner over to third just so they wouldn't be on top of his sign so much. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – I think – I don't know. It could be an interesting psychological ploy to say that they're, they're in teams' heads. They might have stolen your signs and see how uh, – see if catcher-pitcher uh, communications break down. Uh-huh. Yeah, I uh, I don't again. I I kind of t- tend to take the position that I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was just one guy's mistake, or if it was, uh, or if it was some sort of decision that was consciously made, or whether it was just some sort of Im- improvised action or whatever. But you know, it doesn't really bother me too much either. But at the same time, just like you said, there's there's no problem with with uh, you know bringing it up and calling them out on it. If, if you get if I know it happens, I guarantee you, like every team in baseball does it. I don't care that much about it because I mean it's part of baseball. I mean I think uh, in in um, Tim Tim Kirkton's book if, is it a, is this a great game or what? He devotes like a chapter or half a chapter or something just to sign stealing. And how everybody steals signs as much as they possibly can, and they're just basically saying, hey, if you're gonna steal signs. Let's not make it full on espionage. I mean, no walkie-talkies, no earpieces like a quarterback's helmet or something like that. You know, let's just go ahead and uh, if you're going to cheat, you know, do it quietly so we can't catch you because that's, you know, it ain't cheating if you don't get caught. Ten years from now, every MLB player is wearing headphones all the time. And yeah. they're, they're in constant contact with each other. You have like you, – you have a pop fly to left field it, somewhere in between the shortstop and the left fielder, and they're calling each other off through their yeah. little their, – their, their headsets. <laughs> no, just as long as it's not taken to ridiculous extremes and it becomes just a blatant part of the sport, it's kind of one of those sneaky strategic kind of things, not so much like a – and I don't think you can put this on the same plane as a lot of different kinds of cheating, but it's, I don't know, like, I can't even phrase this right because there's so many different ways, to, like like ball doctoring. I don't know, I don't put them in the same category, but it's one of those sneaky things that you know a lot of pitchers are doing it, whether or not they'll admit to it or they ever get caught. Mm-hmm. And same thing with, like, sign stealing and stuff like that. When it comes to the more historical stuff about baseball, like, when it comes to science stealing, I just don't think I care that much. If we can't really prove or disprove the effectiveness of it, and and, and as long as baseball has been around, players have been trying to find an edge one way or another, whether that be you know steroids or that be uh, stealing signs. Either mm-hmm. way, it's gonna happen. Let's just be smart about it. 
don't get blatantly caught lounging in your chair with binoculars to your face. Like, hide. You get get a couple, you know, milk cartons and some little mirrors and make a little, you know, third grade uh, um, periscope. <laughs> kind of hide around the corner, you know. Figure something else out. <laughs> don't be sitting there plain as day watching the catcher when your team's a bat. Right. You know, I actually haven't inquired about this before. I I think this would be interesting. I know the uh, the home clubhouse has televisions of the game in there, dug in the in the dugout and in the clubhouse. Do the visitors have those too? I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I can't imagine that they're giving the visitors, you know, barracks and giving the home team, you know, a mansion. I'm sure that both dugouts are similarly equipped. I mean, probably I, yeah. the, the stink that players had put up if teams didn't have at least some of the same. Uh, you know, comforts would, you know, just be ridiculous. And I'm sure uh-huh. they, you know, would step in on that and stuff like that, which, you know, makes the frustration about, you know, pro athletes getting coddled too much, even more apparent. But uh, no, someone else brought this up too in the commentary in that Fangraphs article is they show the signs on every game. You can watch the catcher sitting there flipping his fingers around and calling the signs. Just get someone in there watching the game for a little while and walk out of the club dugout and be like, oh, hey, I think two means fastball or whatever. Yeah, you know? no, exactly. Yeah. A lot of the sign stealing, too, I mean, not just watching the catchers, but trying to steal signs from the base coaches. That's a huge one there because then you know what they're about to do. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the way baseball signs work, for those of you who don't know, I mean, you'll see them, like, you know, tipping their caps and with both hands and swiping hands across their chest and slapping their palms on their forearms, and little things like that. All those are signs, and some of them are signs to say, okay, everything up to this point is fluff, and then when you hit a certain, you know, motion, that means pay attention here, and then when another motion goes, that means, okay, that's the end of the motion, that's the end of the sign. Right, they, 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 they have gibberish motions and then exactly. an indicator that uh... – will say, okay, now comes the real sign. Sometimes if, they have, they have multiple they think, ones. Yeah. And if they think the other team's on to them, they'll throw cancel signs in there as well. Like, just don't do this. Just run the bases like you normally would or whatever. Things like that. And I think sign stealing is funny and incredible, and I think signs are really interesting too. I mean, I always think codes are kind of cool. I think I think as, as early as my like young Little League-ish style baseball days, we were trying to steal signs. Oh, yeah. I guess this this goes down to the ba- like the ba- the roots of baseball. It's strategy. Like I was talking to a buddy who's a little league coach, and he knows the mistakes that little leaguers make. So he training he's training his players to work off of the typical mistakes, like you know taking an extra bag when you know that they're just trying to catch the ball at second base or whatever. Right. Just things like that, and and ways to display like, almost like double stealing. But you get one guy to go off first base, like you know five ten steps, and zip back while another guy goes for home because mm-hmm. they're distracted by. That kind of stuff, you know, and and yeah, it's kind of unsportsmanlike. I won't lie, and I'm a huge fan of sportsmanship, but you know, mm-hmm. just, like I said before, just don't get caught. Right. So I I think that about covers that. I don't know if there's anything else you want to bring up, but we're we're at about forty forty five minutes now. Let's talk about next week the the upcoming schedule next week real quick. Uh, we're gonna be going to Chicago, uh, for two games. First, that's starting on Monday, and then we go for two to Houston, and then after that, I believe comes the Kansas City series for three, three games over the weekend. Why do we have two two game road series back to back? They it's tend to, they, they've done those every every season for a while now. Two game uh, series are stupid. Make it a three game series. Figure it out. We don't need to play eight games against the Nationals. How about we do three against the Nationals, three against the Nationals, three against the Cubs, and three against the Astros? I, I, I don't know. I think two-game series are a waste of time. The only series I will accept splitting are four-game series. Two-game series are stupid. 
Well, there you have it. <laughs> Stupid. If I had a table in front of me, I'd be banging my fist on it. So if you can hear me banging my head on my folding chair, then yeah. It, 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 it sounds like you're sweeping like a concrete floor. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. I'm sweeping <laughs> anger. That's how frustrated I am. I'm sweeping up my back patio. Uh, there you go. It's, it is, it's, it is it's nice out here. Some angry sweeping. That's right. So I think that's about everything. That about wraps it up. On behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you next week. Take care.